welcome to the Manager Track, the leadership podcast where we help ambitious managers across the ranks become confident and competent leaders people love to work for. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw. Welcome to this episode of the Manager Track. Now, before we dive in, I want to tell you that on January 19th, I'll be holding a class, a free class about how to achieve your next career goal in 2021. And no, this is not about smart goals or OKRs, but this is really about the big stuff, about how to stay in it without giving up halfway through, how to do it without procrastinating and how to stay super focused and clear and what you want. So if you have a big career goal that maybe you have put aside a little bit in 2020, given the circumstances, or otherwise something new that you're excited about and you want to get that done or reach that next level in your career or get the promotion or whatever other career goal you might be pursuing, check out the show notes. I'll include a link to the registration page where you can set up and join me on January 19th for this free class on how to reach your next career goal in 2021. Okay, now in this particular episode of the Manager Track, I'm going to share with you a coaching conversation that I had with Sue. Now, I'm not going to share the entire conversation and call that we have. Instead, I broke it up and focused on a couple of really specific segments that I think you'll find inspiring and insightful. And I'm going to step in and ask you a few questions as we go along. So this is a bit of a new format and I hope you find this insightful and that it inspires you to self-reflect as well as we go along in this conversation. So without further ado, here is Sue. Sue, so great to have you on. Thanks for being part of this coaching conversation today. Thank you for having me. Sue, let's talk a little bit about your leadership style because what I'm hearing from you it's just in the in the conversation prior to pressing record was that you shared how much you like supporting your team and being personal with your team and I'm curious in what way is this making you as a leader very unique to what maybe others would be doing in your role how does that make you special as a leader yeah that's really an interesting thing that you said that um, because I don't think of myself as being special as a leader. So when you say that, it kind of puts me like, what? Um, <laughs> um, I believe people enjoy working with me because I do care about them. Mm-hmm. I try to look at what their skill sets are and learn what their skill sets are. And if you know someone likes to investigate something, give them that project. If someone likes to do reports, work with them more that way. Someone who's more one-on-one with people, work on them that way. You know, because so much of my life has been support mm-hmm. and the leadership roles, I've always had leadership roles, but very on an informal plane where this is the first time in my life where I'm actually in a formal setting of having managerial duties and being supervisors. So I think knowing how to be a good support person, which I feel I very much am, makes me a good leader because it lets me know what my team needs to do for us to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Just by the words that you chose, it's fairly clear that you define yourself as a leader who supports. And it may sound like the most normal thing to say, and the most normal thing to be or the most normal way to be as a leader. But I could have asked this question 20 people and I would have received 20 completely different answers. 
Okay. Right. So your ability to personalize your support, like you said, I specifically provide the level of support that each person needs on my team for that individual care and the individual support. That's something that makes you unique and makes you special as a leader that others might not do because we're not all wired the same way. So this comes very natural to you. And it's just the way of being and probably the way that you do life outside of work as well. Is that true? Yeah, probably so, yeah. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So maybe you've noticed that Sue was a little bit surprised by the question of what made her special as a leader. So you might have also not seen yourself as special as a leader or even thought about what would make you special. So I encourage you right now to pick up a pen and paper and write down just a few keywords and strength that you have or that you have heard other people say about you that make you special and unique. This is not about being superior to other leaders. This is what makes you different, what makes you unique based on your own personality type, your unique strength. When we have this clarity of what makes us special in that sense or unique, it helps us apply that strength more frequently and more intentionally, but it also builds a level of confidence because we understand why we're doing what we're doing and how we're leveraging our strength in a unique way in order to help the people on our team or in order to achieve business goals and pave the path and be a leader overall. What are the three to five key personality traits or strengths that you have that make you special as a leader? Own those strengths, be conscious of them it will make you more effective and it will increase your confidence. I promise you that. So I invite you to write that down right now and then let's get back to the conversation with Sue. So that's a benefit that you have and probably a reason why people are loyal to you and feel supported by you and cared for. Now, like with any other particular preference or style that we have, there is the bright side. And then there's the side where we need to pay attention to that. We're not falling into a trap or there are blind spots because of a certain way that we are and that we are in the flow and what makes us thrive and how we're motivated. And then there is the side where we might have the blind spots. So when you think about your team and engaging with your team, what do you think could be some blind spots that you might run into or might be facing? I, I think sometimes personal boundaries and, and sometimes I neglect what I need to do in trying to support my staff so much. Yeah. And what's the impact of that? Well, a lot of, a lot of mindfulness exercises, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh, stress reducing um, because it causes stress. Let's be honest. Yeah. Right? And so then it's, but it's also that that's why I'm talking about the personal boundaries. Mm-hmm. So I want to pause here as well. This is basically step two, because once you've identified what makes you special and unique and what are your strengths, then the follow-up question needs to be, what happens if I overdo my strength? And all strength can be overdone, and that's usually how weaknesses show up. Weaknesses are strength that are overdone. The analogy I like to use is to think about when you listen to music and you think it's beautiful, but then you turn off the volume just a little bit too much and it starts hurting your ears. It's no longer pleasant. 
So overdone strength are strength that we apply too much or in the wrong situation. So step one was get clear on what are your strengths, what makes you special and unique and own it. And then the second question is, how could this impact your effectiveness as a leader? How could this be a blind spot in how I communicate or interact with others or how I collaborate? Every strength can be overdone. So think about this and maybe you'll notice as you go back and you look at feedback that you received in the past that you would see certain tendencies of, oh, you know, someone perceives me. In her case, for example, someone could perceive her as overbearing when she really means to be helpful and supportive. And so while it's coming from the intention of wanting to be supportive and helpful, the way it can be perceived, the impact her actions could have on other people on her team could be that she's being perceived as overbearing. I'm not saying Sue is actually perceived that way. I'm using that as an example to see how a strength can turn into an overdone strength and then the perception other people have of us is not aligned with our actual intention that's coming from a good place and from a place of where we think we're actually really strong and things that have helped us in the past. This is particularly important for someone who's moving into a leadership role for the first time because a lot of the behaviors and the habits and the style that worked really well as an individual contributor no longer works so well as a leader. And for a new manager to recognize these blind spots is a very important part because their brain keeps saying, no, this is a good thing. This has helped you in the past. You were recognized for this in the past. So keep doing it. But as a leader, you know, those habits or traits may no longer serve us so well. And so we have to recognize that despite this coming from a good intention and from a personal strength that we have, this may be overdone as a leader or applied in the wrong situation. So for Sue, as she thinks of supporting her team, the, the blind spot is the impact that it has on her and the need for boundaries and the stress and anxiety that she feels at certain times. So go back to your notes and think about how your strength could be overdone and how they may be perceived by others that is not aligned with your own intention. If you need to pause the podcast and jump back in when you're ready. I really would like to develop better communication skills and I don't always know how I'm being perceived by someone else. And so when you're talking about the blind spots, nine times out of 10, the blind spots are communication. And so it's kind of like when you did the one, um, the podcast and you were talking about personal conflict mm -hmm. and you thought you were really good at personal conflict. And then you realized, oh, well, I don't like to do conflict. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, me, I raised my hand. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That hit home very I, well, I Ramona. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I find instead I'm, I'm learning to address the issue because a blind spot can be, I don't want to deal with that right now. So let's just put it over here. And then it builds up another problem. Yeah. So the thing is, is dealing with things as they need to be dealt with, um, but also in a respectful way. And that's kind of my thing, because my, my group that I work with has very different age ranges, mm -hmm. very different cultural backgrounds. And so that all plays all part in this also. So when you think of conflict, what do you think about conflict? Like, what are your thoughts that you have about engaging in conflict or addressing something that could cause conflict? Well, because I'm older now, conflict is a different 
thing for me. Mm-hmm. So conflict to me is something that can have a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. So when there's conflict, it's trying to take myself out of myself to be able to look at the other person's situation of where they're coming from mm-hmm. and then look at my view and then put them together. And the conflict can come when we don't understand each other's perspectives sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's where that communication is so vital. And, and sometimes I've had to say to staff, you know, when we were working on this, I kind of felt that you were really frustrated. What, you know, and so I feel very, very thankful that I can talk to my staff this way. What was it that was bothering you? Yeah. you know, and then we can talk about that. Other things. And so I feel very blessed that I have that ability. But then on the other hand, there's that tippy-toey kind of thing with trying to avoid conflict. So conflict a lot of times is just misconception. Mm-hmm. And if you get to a point and you can't ever be angry, that's the whole thing about conflict. Once, once you've lost and you become emotional, there's no discussion. Yeah. So don't let it build up. That's what I've learned to do for myself. If I'm really kind of frustrated with something that's going on and somebody isn't taking care of something the way that I think that it should be done. Okay. Instead of being frustrated about it, it's like, I'll stop and I'll take a step back and say, okay, what's a way that I can approach this in order for them to feel like this is important for them to do? Yeah. And then when you do that, then that makes a totally different thing. And you know why it makes it totally different for you? Here's an assumption, right? So tell me if I'm on the right track or the wrong track, but uh, here's what I'm getting an idea or a hunch um, of. Because you have a strong desire to help people, when you can see that the conflict or the thing that you're about to do, which may lead to conflict, is to help that person, you're willing to engage. But the tippy-toe may happen when you start to think about the fact that this could upset the other person or not resonate, or the other person may not be open to your suggestion or your questions or your feedback. And now this whole inner thrive of I want to help, that's in jeopardy because maybe what I'm now about to do is actually not perceived as help by the other person. Versus when you see, I can ask them why they were frustrated or if something is going on, that is completely helpful. And then you feel comfortable bringing it up. But in situations where that may not be considered as helpful or your questioning or your feedback or your boundary may actually be helpful to you, but not helpful to others. Mm -hmm. That's when it gets really challenging because there is a conflict, a disconnect between what you intellectually want to do and know that you should do versus what your heart desires, which is to help others. Okay. That makes sense. Does that resonate? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because you, you did speak about setting personal boundaries, and that is usually an easy thing to do if you, if for people who have this desire to help, if the boundary would actually help the other person. But the moment I set a boundary that's helping me, but not helping the other person, 
it gets really, really uncomfortable, really, really fast. Yeah. You, 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 you hit that very well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then yeah. that's when we have to recognize what's the impact of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it worth the risk? Yeah, exactly. And how do you know if it's worth the risk? Right. And that, that's the whole thing about getting your emotionalness out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was very blessed to have a mom that taught us about our egos. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that because you have to take yourself out of the equation to look at things objectively. Now, it doesn't mean that I take my point of view out or the way I, I see things the way that they're wanting to be done. Now, it's very easy for me to implement a part of the program when it comes from higher up. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a person that I believe that if people have information, information is how they'll be able to do their job well. And that's that communication thing that I think is so, so important. And I want to quickly drop us back to where we talked about the implication of the boundaries. Because in situations where it's about a task or a project and you say like, I can do this when it comes from higher up and this is about a task, it's about information. Those are the things that don't trigger you in any way because there might be high stake, but they're not jeopardizing something that's dearly important to you. Like if you hold a value or a norm or a rule that's very important to you, and that is in jeopardy because of something that's happening around us or done by others, that's when we get triggered and we run into conflict. But when it's not important to us, it's not a value that we really treasure, then we can go with it. And then it's our thinking brain, our neocortex who makes the decisions, who's able to handle it and navigate it. We don't get triggered by the emotions, right? Right. But when it comes to setting boundaries, what may happen right there is that your identity of being someone who supports, like the way you described yourself as a leader, I'm a supportive leader. And so that is a value that you represent. And if that is being compromised in a certain way, that can create conflict in itself. And that might be internal conflict that you feel, but it may also just elevate the fear of potential conflict. Let's pause here again for a moment. So conflict happens when something that we value, such as a norm or a value in itself or a rule or the like, is being jeopardized. And it has to be done so by someone else. So if someone does something that I feel very indifferent about, I don't particularly value this or it's not that important to me, then it, that never triggers conflict. But when something is important to me and maybe it's part of my identity or a value that I want to uphold and then that is being jeopardized, that's when we get emotional. That's when conflict starts. And so following on to the previous two questions of what makes you special as a leader and then what are some strengths that are possibly being overdone, that third question is what takes you off? What is something that really annoys you and why? I promise that the things that annoy you or that you find conflict triggering are not the same things that would trigger conflict for someone else. So why is that important to you? And then from understanding what values are compromised, it will help you articulate your situation and your stance better. But it, there's also an opportunity to look at 
what else is true? Like, how else could I look at this situation? If I have a friend who has a different set of values, for example, and this particular thing wouldn't trigger them, how would they look at this situation in a way that doesn't trigger them? Because this is really important. Any circumstance or any specific behavior by anybody doesn't create conflict. It's always our thoughts about what happened that triggered a conflict. Our thoughts about what this means to me or whether that's good or bad is what creates the conflict. And we have a lot more agency over our thoughts than we often think. And so that's where conflict resolution can be incredibly powerful once you understand that there is a circumstance that's very different from the thought that I have about the circumstance. And my perspective and my thoughts, they're fueled by the values that I hold and the things that are important to me and that I identify with. So in Sue's case, um, some of the conflict that could arise or when she talks about her boundaries and how that creates burden or stress for her at times has to do with her desire to help and her value of supporting one another. And when that gets compromised or she feels like she needs to set a boundary to manage that better, that can be difficult for her. So what are some of the values and norms that are important to you that if jeopardize, create conflict situations in your life? That's the next question. So grab your pen and paper again and reflect on this a little bit. I bet this will be very insightful. And with that, let's get back to Sue. You said, I feel a bit like a duck out of the water. Like, let's talk about that. Is a lot of people feel like a duck out of the water. When does that show up? How does it show up? Why do you feel like a duck out of the water? Well, you, you know, it's really interesting because I think when you, we were talking earlier and you were talking about when we, we say things out loud, a lot of times the little puzzle pieces kind of fall in together. Yeah. Um, because I don't have an education. I have a high school diploma, a few college credits. Um. I, I don't feel qualified for one thing. That's, that's one of the things. So when I say a duck out of water, when you're put into this position, but you're really not given much direction about how to do it or what to do, and you're just kind of, okay, this is the grant we're working on. And so figure out what you're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> but you know, that's that same type of thing though, because then it's like, okay, I know I can figure this out. Mm -hmm. you know, so in reality, having this talk with you has made me feel better yeah. <laughs> about managing. <laughs> That's I mean, it's, great. Kind of, it's been really good for me because I feel, well, maybe I, I have more things together than I think I do. I think you do. It's you know, interesting I mean, that you said that you brought back the college because you're about to retire or you're like in an age where you think about that. But then yeah. you remember that you don't have a college degree. Yeah. And, and I actually also want to tap on that for a second, because you said when a project is handed down to me or they say, go do this or get this grant, you're figuring out, okay, what does this mean? And you have developed a self-confidence that you can figure things out. You've lived a long enough life and you've overcome enough challenging times that you know, I'm resourceful. I can do things. I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. It's different to when I coach people who are very early on in their career who haven't built the self-confidence of, I've done harder things than this. I got this. But you have this. But, there, but I'm curious there of, is there something lingering where you feel 
I'm not qualified. And that thought of, I don't have a college degree. And so now I'm leading a team and I'm supposed to do all these things. And like, who am I to do that? Exactly. Oh, oh, it plays a big, huge part of it. Yes, most definitely. And so how does this play a part of it? I think honestly, it's how society views and how we were raised and things like that. Um, but how does I it show up for you? Intelligent person, because I can figure things out. I know how to read. I know how to ask questions. I know how to get resources. But I don't have that fine tuning, I guess. You know that I that I think if I had a degree, I would be better. I would have things together more. I would. You know. And then what? What if? What if you had a degree and you had things? together more what would what would be possible I know isn't that really silly because yeah. in reality would I really do anything different than I'm doing now maybe maybe I'd know how to do things differently but then on the other hand I'm still doing the job I need to do mm-hmm. <laughs> I I don't yeah it's it's tough but it, it's a it's um it, maybe it started off with the thing when you start off with the very first question of what made me feel special as a manager and that just hit me like, woo, what? Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm not special. Yeah. yeah. I'm just a person. Just a person. And I, I don't devalue myself, basically. But on the other hand, I don't think I'm the bee's knees. <laughs> you know, I just dated yeah. myself, didn't I? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but, but it, this is interesting because what you would have done 40 years ago, in college would make zero difference today. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, so there we go with that perception. Yeah. And that's very, very interesting. Uh, of the nuggets that you've given me today, Ramona, <laughs> you, you zinged that one very well for me. Mm-hmm. Because in reality, if it was really that important for me to have a degree, I would have one, wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm not qualified. In fact, it could also mean that you're even more so qualified because you got this and you're having this job without a degree. I like that. <laughs> yeah, right? So that's equally, if not even more true than to say, who am I to do this job without a degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a little emotional. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that. Thank you. Mm, yeah. That hit home. Hmm? That hit home. That hit home. Thank you. And so when you said, I actually feel a little bit better about this call now, this is maybe a little bit of that self-care of you're doing a great job and you're doing it exactly like you're supposed to. And whether you had a degree back then means nothing. In fact, you demonstrated all along for the past 40 years plus that you figure things out and that you're resourceful and that you find solutions and that you have your heart in the right place. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank and you. My goodness. Team. Yeah, that boy, that was something I, I didn't see coming. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take yeah. that home. Like that's sinking. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was really interesting. It's almost like um, this weight has been lifted. Yeah. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It's all you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you. Oh Dude, my gosh. Like, I would have that... never thought this was going to come from this. <laughs> <laughs> let that sink in because the you jump back to the college degree and we're like, I feel like a duck out of out of the water. That's completely made up. That's completely made up. And you can, you don't have to, but you can absolutely let that go and Thank take you. on a new belief. Like I deserve this more than ever. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And I'm completely, you are such a supportive leader. You're completely in the right spot. You're exactly where the duck should be swimming. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Yes. That's very, very, very lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you as well, Sue. Very so appreciate you being part of this and like sharing. Oh gosh. Thank you. My goodness. <laughs> so listening to the ending of this call once again, makes my heart sing because Sue is such a beautiful, amazing and strong woman. And she held on to this belief that, you know, maybe this is too big of a job for her because she doesn't have a college degree. And I'm so grateful that Sue shared this moment with us because the vast majority of us have some kinds of beliefs about ourselves or the fact that we're not good enough yet or that we need the title in order to speak up or to feel like we're accomplished or we need to hit that salary mark or we need that promotion or we need that degree or certification in order to feel like we deserve what we got or to go for what we want. But none of this really matters. And you've probably even experienced this in the past where you thought, oh, once I get this done, I'll be good. And then you get it and then you realize, well, that didn't change anything. I still have the same self-doubt inside of me. Now what's the next thing? And so we go for one thing to the next and the next. And it's, it's a bit of a hamster wheel because we never quite feel good enough yet. There are people out there who have a PhD from Harvard and they still feel like they're not good enough or not accomplished enough. And so I hope that this conversation with Sue inspired you to look at what you might think or believe about yourself and what you need to have first in order to feel good enough. The feeling of being good enough and and embracing all that we have and owning the fact that we deserve it and fully stand in our power, that's the work that has to be done on the inside. It is not a title, not a promotion, not a salary mark, not a certificate, and not a degree that will ever get you that. It is the work that you do inside of you. So if this is something that resonated with you, I hope you're doing some of the reflection now that this conversation with Sue inspired you to think about this some more, to figure out what sort of story have you made up in your mind about who you are and where you should be and what you deserve and when you'll be good enough, and all of that. And I think the conversation with Sue also demonstrates beautifully and how powerful coaching can be because we're getting into a place where we're able to open up that way and we're able to look at things from a new and different perspective that gives us access to some of the beliefs, the limiting beliefs that might be holding us back or keeping us stuck. Now, as I shared in the beginning of this podcast, this is a new format. And if you liked what you heard and you found this an inspiring conversation, please let us know. I think Sue would so appreciate it. I would so appreciate it. I'd love to get this into more hands or more ears and minds ultimately. So if you take the five seconds, it would take to quickly 
review the podcast and if possible write a nice quick comment of what you're getting out of it that would mean the world to me and in this particular case probably also to Sue I bet that she would feel great knowing that her participation in this call is also supporting and helping others who are listening to her story and some of the challenges that she's navigating that's all for today my friends I'll see you next week bye for now if you love this show then you love even more my free training for new managers if you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.